0: Father, we, we thank you that you are who you are, Lord. And we thank you that we, we praise you, Lord, for, for how you've revealed yourself to us and who you are in your very nature and your very character as you've revealed through your word and most perfectly through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that we can know you, Lord, not by our own ideas and our own speculations, but we can, we can know you because of how you have revealed yourself through your truth, in truth, Lord, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that as we study your word, as we think about what, what your plan is through your church, God, that, that we, would, we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices, Lord, p- which is our pleasing act of worship to you, that, that we would live that out, Lord, as, as you intended. Lord, as we realize that, 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 that the church is not about me, Lord, that the church is not even about us, Lord. It's about how that we would glorify you, Lord, and what you're doing on, on this earth. And so we just pray, Uh, that you would work through your word as we study and discuss it this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good morning. Wow. We're going to have to start adding some more chairs, huh? So come on in. So we have been talking about the church. We've been doing this unit as we're working through theology. We get to the point of, of this discussion of the church. And, and we talked about that the church is a people, not a place, right? The church is not a place. It's a, it's a people. But it's not just any people. It's a regenerate people, right? It's a regenerate people. And it's not just any regenerate people. It is a assembled group of rege- regenerate people, not just isolated individuals, right? And, and we started looking at that, that what does it look like when the, 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 these people of God's church assemble together? What does that look like? And, and, and we said that what it looks like is it's not just, oh, we'll hang out every once in a while as we feel like it, but there is a, a commitment to one another. That as we look at, the, there's different ways you describe the picture of the, the New Testament church. And, and one of those is that picture of one anothering, right, of one another's. And, and, and that's that idea that there's a real commitment we make to one another. You could call it a formal commitment. You can call it a covenantal commitment. Uh, you can call it church membership, is what the title that we typically use at this church. But we see that that's that's what we do, and we do life together. And we see that we've seen that exemplified in the New Testament, especially so we see through Acts. We see that exemplified through the New Testament metaphors. And then as we looked at the last couple of weeks, we see that exemplified that what it means to live out life. Is to, is to do so within the context of a covenant community, of what we, where we are devoted to one another. And, and, and we've seen that, that we can't really understand the Christian life that's portrayed in the New Testament without this concept of the I needs the we. right? It, it's this idea is that I, as a Christian, as I seek to grow in my maturity in Christ, am meant to do that within the context of the we. Of, of, the, of the church. So we see that in Hebrews 10, we look at the I needs to be stirred up by the we to love and good deeds. That we don't have what we need in ourselves to be fully stirred up. We need one another. The I needs to, to be matured by the spiritual gifts of the we. I do not have all the giftings I need to be brought to spiritual maturity right? That that, that that there are other gifts that God has gifted within the local church that I, that I need to be able to brought up to that maturity, Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I need to have my soul watched over as I submit to the leadership of the we, as we see in Hebrews 13. And, and so as we put together the Apostolic example that we saw of, of, of that commitment in Acts, and the apostolic command really it, it, it brings about this this importance, this necessity of this this covenant commitment we have, which is which is primarily not that and as a good corrective, not that it can't be outside, but that's primarily that's foundationally that we found in the local church as we as we as we are covenant together, and so and because of that co- commitment, that formal commitment, that covenant commitment. That it, it, we we have one another. That there's something bigger than the I or the we that happens. Right? There's something bigger that God is doing than the I or even the we. Right? Is that, that God has a plan of how He's going to build His church for His glory? That there is a way that the church is called to function as a witness to the world, and and, and part and that and that comes from our relationship with one another and how that is lived out. And so we're going to look at that. Let me give you a brief survey. We're going to go here. And then as well as probably a couple of weeks after Dawn shares next week. And that is, is we're going to do, we're going to talk about what does it look like that, 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 that for the church as God's witness, right? We're going to see eventually in, in Ephesians, this idea of the, 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 what is a mystery, this manifold, witness of God, or test, manifold uh, wisdom of God is made it's, it's displayed through the church. We're going to see the same similar things in John 13 where Jesus says that you're going to know you're, you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That, that The way we live that out. But who is that? Who comprises that? And how is that supposed to function as a testimony? And to understand that, we have to, to take a look at how is it that God makes what is invisible an invisible reality, right? We are saved into Christ, and that's invisible there, there's, there, there is nothing that that I can. That, that, as I've said before, Ron doesn't get a, a tattoo C on his head for Christian once he genuinely is converted. I guess you could say for C for Christian or C for converted, right? But, but, but what, what what is it that makes the invisible this this regeneration visible? Well, it, it's what God does through the church. And that is what he, that is, is God's plan, is a testimony to the truth of the gospel. And so we're going to build on some scriptures we looked at before, but we're going we're to see the importance of those um, as it relates to membership and discipline. And that's what, form, that's, the, that's what forms the local church, right? That's what draws the boundaries of the local church. That's what makes the invisible visible is these ideas of church membership and church discipline. Um, so let's look at Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew this morning. And, and I and I want you guys to see, and we've talked these passages before, and I've linked some before, but I really want to to show that this 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 link of progression of how God is working to build His church, and, and, and how and what that does, how the church is making what is invisible visible. Um, so look at Matthew chapter sixteen. And we're going to look at uh, we're going to start with we're going to look at three different sections of Matthew that starts to build about his church and how he's building his church with authority. Matthew 16, Matthew 18, Matthew 28, and how that's linked in this progression in, in Matthew's really description of the church. So, starting in Matthew 16, uh, starting in verse um, 13, we've we've read this before, but it's just so foundational if we want to understand this this idea of the church. So. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now we've looked at this before, so I'm not going to go as slowly through this as I have in the past, but let's just kind of cover what's here, right? So Jesus is going to build his church, and he's going to build his church on the... Rock. That doesn't mean we need to name our church the Rock, contrary to what some people would like. Um, but it's this idea that that he's going to build on this rock. And what is the rock? Christ is the rock. But in the context here, Christ is building his church on the rock. And and what is Christ building on? Contextually in this verse, it's Peter. But it's why is it Peter? Because he's going to he. he... Said that he is a Christ. Yes. So Peter and Peter's confession, right? So people have tried to divide this, with, as I said, between church history of the Catholic church, saying it's just Peter and he's the first pope. Well, there's nothing in there about that. And the, and the Protestant reformers came around and said, no, he's not talking about Peter at all. It's just Peter's confession. But clearly he's saying, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. It's, it's, he's talking about Peter, but why is it Peter? Peter is the right confessor with the right confession. I like to put it that way, that the rock is the right confessor with the right confession. And as I've said before, the idea of there being a right confession, it draws a boundary, right? Right there, it draws a boundary. That if this is the rock, this type of confessor with this type of confession, this is the rock I build my church on, that means everything besides that is not what? part of his church. Does that make sense? If this is the right confessors with the right confession, that means that there are, there are other confessions, and we see that other testimonies of Christ... Other people who would claim to, to speak for Christ, as you get throughout the rest of the, the, the New Testament, Jesus warns would come, saying, you know, look, the, the, the Christ is over here, and look, and, and there's false Christs. But there is a true Christ and a true confession, and, and which means that there's a, a, a false. It's, it's, right there, Jesus is drawing a boundary around the church. There's an inside and there's an outside the church based on this right confession. And, and And what is it that draws that boundary what who has the authority to do that? who has the authority to to well in, in jesus' words, speak for heaven right um, Where does he say da, 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 da. Bless are you, Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you who revealed this to him the father he, this, this is this is heaven 's decree this is heaven 's uh, what is the difference between the right confession and the wrong confession? And, and we see that Jesus is the one saying he speaks for heaven. Peter does not identify himself as blessed. You guys notice that? Peter does not identify himself as the one who has the authority to speak that for heaven, that the, he is the right confessor. Jesus says, I speak for heaven, and Peter, on this rock, you is the right confessor, but in the right confession, I speak for heaven that this is what I'm building my church upon. This is what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let's let's look at how Jesus then goes on the rest of the passage. How does he build his church? He uses what tool? He gives Peter, I should say, he's going to use Peter, and he gives what tool? Keys of the kingdom, kingdom, right? Mm -hmm. So keys, it's, 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 it's a metaphor, right? What are keys used for? Yep, opening and shut, locking and unlocking. It's, it's a sign of authority, right? Is that there are certain people that, that have the authority to open this building and certain people that don't. And we're going to see that, that there's, there's, a, there's, there's a way that Jesus is saying, I speak for heaven. And we're going to see that he's given to Peter and then we're going to see to the local church the authority to speak for heaven. But it's interesting that this authority is not an opening and shut, a locking and unlocking. That's what the illustration of keys. But how is this authority exercised? How are these keys used? He he does not say, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you open, it's it's, it's open. Whoever you shut is shut. That's not, he's mixing metaphors, right? That's when I preach through this, I'm saying, this is a hard passage because there's all these different metaphors. rock keys, you know, and we're going to get to this next one. It's all kinds of different metaphors. So we have to track through the metaphors. So he's building his church on this rock, this right confessor at the right confession. And to do that, he's giving those confessors these keys. And what do these keys do? What do they do? Who They bind and loose, right? So keys don't normally do that, right? I, I can't, I can't stick Gale to anything with my keys. But that's, that's what these keys do. These, these keys that Jesus is talking about, they bind and loose. They, the, the idea is stick and unstick, right? That these are keys that he gives that their function is not opening and shutting, but sticking and unsticking. Is everyone following what, following what Jesus is saying right there? Right? They're sticking and unsticking. Now, how do they stick and unstick? There, there's, there's some debate about how that verse should be translated, um, is, it, is it a future will be stuck or unstuck or is it a, a future perfect, which is will have been stuck or unstuck, loosed, uh, bound and loosed. And, and not to get too geeky about Greek, um, but uh, when you look at it, I think the best translation is if you, if you have a New American Standard Bible there in, in, in trying to express what is a future perfect here. It, it's, it's the idea of, not that whatever we say, that heaven's going to say, okay, whatever the church has said, we're gonna re- heaven's going to recognize that and go along with whatever the church says. But it's that the church is recognizing what heaven has already declared. Will have been. It will have been. You guys understand? Does that, that make sense? It's not just will be. Whatever we do, whatever, the, whatever Peter declares, we're going to see later, the church declares. is not will be, but will have been. That we are... We are then when we talk about um, this, what Peter is, I want to keep, I should keep in the context of the, the, the text here. What Peter and the apostles are doing, they're not determining the policies of heaven, right? And this is, this is one of the multiple errors of the Roman Catholic Church. But it's not that the church gets to decide on behalf of heaven who's in and who's out. That's what the future would say, right? That whatever, whatever Ralph binds, heaven is going to abide by Ralph's decision. That's not, that's not what's going on here. It's that, that, that heaven, that what, what Peter, not Ralph, I'm sorry, you're not an apostle, Ralph. Uh, but what Peter and the apostles are declaring, they're declaring what has already been revealed by divine inspiration. They are making their declarations based on what heaven's already declared. And so in line with that, that is what will be finally decided, determined in the end. So the authority of the keys is not the authority to determine the policies of heaven, but it's the authority to recognize what heaven has declared about what is truly on that rock of confession and what is not is that you guys tracking? We tracking everyone. So this is, this is, so we're seeing that, that what's happening here is, is we're starting to walk that Jesus is, he, he, he makes this boundary line, right? Between the church and the world. There, there's a sharp boundary between that, the, that those which are built upon the rock and, and those which are not upon the rock. And that, that is being reflected in these heavenly realities of binding and loosing. Right? Not that the binding and loosing makes those realities, but binding and loosing reflects those realities of the truth of what is inside and outside the gospel. So let's put the metaphors together, all these metaphors. Jesus is building his church, his assembly of people. Right? That's what a church is. It's a people. Jesus is building his assembly of people on Peter and his confession by giving keys... Which, which, unlock and, uh, which lock and unlock his saving reign through the means of sticking and unsticking, what? People. The, the, the way that he's building His rock is he's sticking or unsticking people here on earth, which reflect the realities of heaven. You guys see how, how, how I'm, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm building the metaphors together. And some of you are saying, I've heard this before. Yeah, we, I've covered this before, but this is foundational to understand. If we don't understand Matthew 16, then Matthew 18 doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And neither does 1 Corinthians 5. We have to understand where the, where the authority comes from and what this, this idea is. And that's what's here. Yeah. Would you say that Peter is here the first church member because he is the right confessor with the right confession? I don't know if I'd use the term. Because before Acts, it gets really, really, really vague. Right? Right? How, how much of a regenerate assembled people do you have pre-Pentecost? Uh, is, where, where, did, where did Peter's regeneration happen? We, I, don't, I don't think we know. You know, so it's it's very difficult. Um, and, and so when you're looking at different, you could you could use different aspects under different workings, different dispensations, different, depending on how you want to say. Right? You're looking at, at pre-Pentecost. I think that there's, there is a there is a a distinct work same same God same type of salvation salvific work but a different way it's working and so it's, I, I think I, I'd be careful to, to start using those maybe church membership terms before really I think when you're looking at Pentecost is is that you're seeing that this initial act and and, and what's being set here is set in place that they understood something of that to where once the Spirit came that there was that was put in place I, I I'd hesitate to say that, that the disciples are a church. You know, and so he's a church member pre-Pentecost. I I just don't know about that one. So, yeah. You might say he is is the right confessor with the right confession. And I will build my church on Mm -hmm. people like this. Mm -hmm. People who are the right confessors with the right confession. And that's going to start officially when the Spirit comes and dwells. Yeah, yeah. I think that when you start looking at the, the scope of redemptive history, I think that that, that that's where it's, that that's where it happens is is is, is after Pentecost, and so yeah, yeah. Okay. So when he uses so this conversation predates the, the church, and so he uses the word church there, yeah. and you're saying that means assembly of people. Yeah. So what I'm just I always wonder and what what the word meant there, and then what it meant to Peter, like. No, no, I, I would say, you know, that, that most research we'd look at it, that it's interesting that if you look in, and I have to look back at my notes for all the details. Um, but, um, if you look at the Septuagint translation of the new Testament or the old Testament, this is the Greek translation, this term, um, ecclesia is, is, would be a, actually a common term that's found in the old Testament for the assembly, the assembly of the people. So, so I would say that 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 there's the idea of the assembly, but Jesus is pouring in a fuller meaning as a redemptive history goes along, and you see that later on, even in the New Testament, you see ecclesia used in Acts as as the as the, the people of the city assembled together, the assembly of the people. It's an ecclesia, um, and so you this idea of ecclesia by its very nature, even. Extra biblical outside of biblical language is this idea of the, the the assembly of the people, the assembly of the citizens in a city. Uh, and so and then what Jesus is doing is he's taking that term and he's pouring into saying, my assembly, my church, my people assembled. And so yeah. And so he's like very distinct from the synagogue. Yeah, I I I, I don't know the relation there, but I I I don't think if I, I at least my memory that the synagogue was called the Neclacy at all, but but the concept of the assembly was was not foreign. It's not a, a, a brand new word. There's sometimes Paul like actually makes up terms to kind of try to communicate things. That's not what's going on here. There's a a pre-established term that Jesus is is pouring into a greater redemptive historical meaning here. Yeah. Other questions? Those are good questions. Good thoughts. So. All right, let's keep tracking here along with, with, with verse sixteen or, or chapter 16. Um, so, so that's what's going on here. If we try to understand the church and, and, and how Christ is going to build his church and then how he's going to use his church, we have to understand how he builds his church. And he does that by binding and loosing, sticking and unsticking people. Well, what is this process of sticking and unsticking people? What's binding and loosing? Well, well it's, 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 as we start to look through, it's pretty clear that binding is, is connecting people together. That's what we've been talking about, of what it means to be committed to one another, right? Committed to one another uh, in, 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 in this covenant, commitment with one another. That's this binding, right? This is, that's this idea of we're sticking people together and binding together, which is what we call membership. I guess that's another name. We could call it uh, the binding class, I mean, that's, again, if we want to use biblical language, that's another class. I'm not sure it's any better than church membership. Uh, that term, but it's—I it's, guess you could call it that. Um, the sticking class. I don't know. Um, I mean, no, my, my wife doesn't like that one. That—that. That, that, uh, There's some inappropriate things. Oh no. Okay. Um, and then—and then what is loosing? If, if binding is and sticking is this bringing together into the assembly into, into church membership, loosing is church discipline right? Loosing from the assembly. And, and so, and and again, I just want to reflect when, when, when the, so when the church, when Peter, and we're going to see later, the local church binds people in fellowship and looses people from fellowship, it's not that we are declaring that, that we are making, that heaven's going to just respect whatever we think we're going to do with people, that we are called to reflect the realities of heaven, The powers of the keys is not to be able to shape the gospel or change the gospel. Or if we bring someone into church membership, we're going to make them a citizen of heaven. Or if we church discipline someone, we've taken away their citizenship of heaven. That's not what's talking about here. But that there is a a testimony of, of, of this building on the rock, of this inside and outside the church, of declaring what heaven has already declared, of what is invisible, Right, our citizenship in heaven, visible or invisible? Invisible. Your citizenship in America, visible or invisible? Visible. Right? You got some sort of ID. Well, if you're if you're uh, if you're a citizen, um, our citizenship in heaven's not that way. The angel doesn't come 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 bring bring Kathy down a passport. When oh you're saved now here you go. Right. So so there is the book of life, but it's invisible. us i I, man you know what you know how much easier it would make our job of the church to go hey you know what we're you know this person applied for membership or this person's dealing with this situation Elias, can you go check the book of life for us (laughs) i mean but but what is it that we're to do is that we are to to see um to reflect the realities of what heaven's already declared it's it's like What's being described here is like, a, it's almost like a, and you could describe as a judge weighing the evidence at a trial, right? The judge does not have the authority to make someone innocent or guilty, right? What does the, the judge have the authority? To declare what the evidence shows. Now, in the history of, of the legal profession, has there ever been a judge who has declared someone innocent that's not innocent? Has the judge ever declared someone guilty that's not guilty? Because he is not the decla- he is not he's not able to make them that he declares what the evidence shows, and that's what Peter is to do, and we're going to see later. Again, I keep linking. We're going to see Matthew eighteen. The church is supposed to do. We don't make people citizens of heaven. We recognize and testify to that invisible reality. We make that inv- invisible reality visible. We we declare what is already true. We don't if, in church discipline. We don't say. You know what? You don't get to go to heaven now because we've, we're taking that away from you. No, we are declaring what, already, what, 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 is, what is true based on God's word. And can we make mistakes in that declaration? In the same way, yes, like, like a judge can, Right? And so, and so, so again, Je- just as Jesus had the authority to speak for the Father and declare that Peter was the right confessor with the right confession, to build him after, after Pentecost to the church assembly of people that he's building, Jesus gives that same authority then that Jesus exercised then to Peter. That's what the keys are. That, key, that keys of binding and loosing, of admitting and, and disciplining, is given to Peter and the apostles. So now they speak for heaven. Now Peter and the apostles speak for heaven. They mark off the boundary of the rock, of the church. But the problem is what? What's the problem today? If we say that Peter and the apostles are the ones that have those authority, they're dead. Right? They're all dead. And so what does that mean? And so if we ask the question, who speaks for heaven now? Who has, the key, has that authority of the keys that marks out the boundaries of, of, of the church, of the kingdom, of, of, of those who are part of that, what he's building on the rock? And this is, you can't understand Matthew 18 unless you understand Matthew 16. Flip over to Matthew 18. And we're going to look a little bit more at Matthew 18 and, and, and the fullness of this picture of discipline um, either at the end of today or po- probably in two weeks, just looking at our time, since I got a little late start. But here's what I want you guys to see, though. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, talks about what do you do with a sinning brother. And this, this passage, this class we talked about, is church discipline. But here's what I want you to key in. This is why I'm saying you can't understand chapter 18 without 16. Why that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew he's writing this, 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 this gospel. You understand 16 first and is before you lead to 18 because look at chapter 18, verse 19. After the church, or uh, sorry, verse 18, 18, 18. After the church exercises church discipline, verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Man, that sounds similar or familiar. right. Doesn't that sound familiar to you guys? That's, that's, that's the exact language that Jesus used. So do, so do you see what he's doing? Is that what is going on in Matthew 18 is being built on the foundation of what Jesus declared in Matthew 16. Matthew 18 is, is not to me to, to be just treated in isolation. It's treated in in the the the, the context of Matthew. So in Matthew 16, Jesus spoke for heaven in declaring of that boundary of what the church that he's building on the rock. He gives that authority to Peter and to the apostles as they then are the ones who speak for heaven in building his church. But then when we get to Matthew 18, as Jesus is talking about a church that's not even in existence yet, right? In, in verse, uh, uh, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. What church? Right? The, what church? There's no church. But Jesus is, 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 is instructing as he's, as he's build as he's preparing, as he knows what's going to happen, his death and resurrection and the pouring out of his spirit and the building of his church, at Pentecost. And, 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 and so what, and in that, what's going to happen is that there's going to be a time when there was no more Peter and the apostles. So who has the authority? Who speaks for heaven now? Oh, Jesus says it's the church who does that binding and loosing, the local church, not... Not So, so we, we could ask, which denomination is this? Which denomination speaks for heaven, right? Or which local church gets to speak for heaven? Uh, he's, he's saying that, the, that God's people, as the, to use Pauline and Peter's language in the epistles, royal priests, as we're gathered together as a body of assembled people in the local church, that Jesus says, we speak for heaven. When we bind someone to our assembly, it, we, we call it admitting to membership. Again, if someone if, if finds a better word than membership, I'm open for it. But, but there's, there's, if we bind someone to membership, we're speaking for heaven. As we, as we church discipline and we lose people and, and, and we, we, we lose people from membership, that, that's speaking for heaven. That, the, the local church, huh? It's an assembly of right confessors with the right Yes. Better. Yeah. Yeah. This, and, and assembly of yeah. Right with the right and every assembly, I mean, every assembly of right confessors with the right confession are the ones who speak for heaven. When when they bind now they may do that well or they may do that not so well, but as they bind people to fellowship and as they lose people from fellowship, that is it. That is speaking for heaven. Um. Let me see. And then look over at Matthew 28. We see a similar thing. See, Matthew 28, we we just, our our minds jump to missions. Our minds jump to evangelism, which it should. It's a great commission, right? This is what we're left with. But when we understand this theme of authority, the authority God gives to the church throughout Matthew, we, we, we have to see this also in that context as well, right? Matthew 28. Verse 18, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then his command is, is you go and make disciples, right? That authority then is given to us to go and make disciples. Well, how do we make disciples? By baptizing and teaching. Well, what does that, what does that entail? That, 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 then binding them to us to, to be part of the church, right? And so that, that authority is, is to build his church, And we've seen that, but we've talked about that before, is that this Great Commission is not just given to the disciples, right? How do we know that the Great Commission is not just for the disciples? They're the only ones there that got this command, but how do we know that this command goes beyond them? I'm with you always to the very end of the age, right? Disciples are not going to be there to the very end of the age. We know contextually that Jesus is intending this command beyond the disciples. I guess you could have that interpretation, so... But but I believe you know that, that idea of, of um, end of the aeons and I, I just I think that, that, that t- and I have to look at I'd have to look at the Greek on that but it t- those tend to be be eschatological you know as it looking in, in those sort of terms, uh, um, it, yeah. Um, Jesus is uh, talking to the apostles and mm-hmm. all this. Mm-hmm. Do you think they really understood what he was saying? Because until Acts happened, you know, yeah. uh, and the Holy Spirit comes. They didn't have any way to do it. Yeah, I, I think the best description is, is not a yes or a no. I think that the way if you look at the gospel account, it's this, right? And, and I think it's multiple levels. It's, it's dealing with Christ's identity. It's dealing with what Christ's work. It's dealing with the kingdom. Is there are times it's like they kind of got it, and then they don't got it. And they kind of got it, and they kind of don't got it. And, and I think that's the best way. So to classify the disciples as one or the other is they understood or they didn't understand, I think is, is misconstruing the biblical evidence, right? Because if you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's this. It's at certain points that they, they get certain things, and the next day they just don't get it. And so, because it, I think, it, obviously then you look at a time where, after the, where the resurrected Christ taught them Right, so he's instructing them during that time he's here, and then clearly he says that the spirit's going to come to bring to you remembrance of what I've said. That we see that post Pentecost is very clear, and, and there are some people that would say that that ideas of the church. That's why um, a lot of people uh, within not just liberal traditions, but but some 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 broader Christian traditions would deny, for instance, that Paul wrote First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. They would say, you know, we'd say, but. It says Paul wrote this. And I'm like, no, nah, Paul couldn't have wrote that. Why didn't Paul write that? Because he's talking too much about how the church is supposed to be ordered and built. And and they didn't understand that. And, and I'm like, well, Jesus taught about it. And, and he taught them things, you know, after his resurrection that, that that aren't recorded. And they seem to have some understanding in Acts. And so just just that, that's the only reason why we're going to discount Pauline's, Paul's authorship. It just doesn't make sense because they, they, they clearly that, Post Pentecost, there was a greater understanding. I think that that, that the Spirit brought to remembrance, and they started to live these things out. And so, yeah. Well, it's like you're teaching the child. Yes. You teach them things they don't understand. Yeah. It doesn't stop you from teaching them. You teach them. Yeah. And they'll understand some of it. Yeah. And then later on, as they get older, they learn more. Yeah. And they understand. That more fully, yeah. Because you're teaching something new. And clearly, I would say that Matthew understood in a way of the importance of selecting that and recording it in, in his gospel. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let me let me wrap things up, and we're just not going to get to the rest of Matthew 18 today, but but let, let me just wrap it up this way. Um, when we look at our commitment to one another, it's not just about me, and it's not just about you, it's about something that Jesus is doing in building his church. Is, is is defining the boundaries of his kingdom work within his church, in, in a way what we can all that we've been describing here, this declarative nature of who is part of the church and who is not part of the church, who making the invisible reality of regeneration visible in our binding to one another. We can describe the church as God's embassy. I, uh, uh, Jonathan Lehman has written on that. I think he's right. I think it's, it's a good analogy is that an embassy has the authority to represent the, uh, the, the, that government. In the same way, we are the embassy. The church is meant to be an embassy to represent the authority for the kingdom of heaven, to speak for heaven. The embassy does not make citizens, but recognize who are true citizens and, and binds them to that country. So if, if you're in a foreign country and you lose your passport... You know, it's not that they can make you a citizen at the embassy, but they can declare your citizenship and give you that passport as a symbol that you really are a citizen. And that's what the local church does, right? The local church does not make people Christians when we bind people into fellowship, but there is an importance of displaying to the world of who are the right confessors with the right confession, Right? And and that's that how does that done? That is through binding, binding and loosing in Jesus' words. Let's think about it a different way. Another way you can illustrate this is, is it, let's say Jesus has a bunch of team jerseys, right? Let's say on the back, this guy's with Jesus. Right? So the the, the the nations of the world would say, this, these are the confessors, these are the right confessors of Jesus Christ. Who represents Jesus? Who speaks for heaven to, to declare that? Who gets to hand the jerseys out? Do I get to hand my own jersey out? Do I get to declare on behalf of heaven, I, I speak for Jesus. I am my own authority on my own salvation. And I speak for heaven. I have the, buy, the keys for that, that, declare, that, 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 that authority to declare. No, right? In fact, Jesus promised that many would come to, 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 to be falsely speak in his name to falsely declare that they're with him. I mean, we look at everyone from Adolf Hitler to David Duke claimed to speak for Christ. But, but Jesus, what he's doing is he's saying he's given that authority to faithful local churches to witness to the world, to be embassies, to make visible who is part of his kingdom. To be able to say this person, they have, they're a right confessor with the right confession. They speak for Jesus. And we, we recognize that by binding them into the kingdom. And when people are no longer having the right confession, no longer living in that confession, not willing to repent of their sin. It's loose them saying, we can't, they might be saved, but we can't, we can't declare on behalf of heaven anymore that, that, that they speak for heaven. And, and, and that's this idea of, of what the church is doing. So we're going to look a little bit more, especially at that church discipline, that loosing aspect. We talked about the binding for a while. We're going to look at Matthew 18 and, and 1 Corinthians 5 more in two weeks, um, but as, as we're thinking about the, the church. Um, Real quick, is there any, any last questions, comments, thoughts? Did you just say so I can't declare for myself, but the church here, by being a member, the church will declare that I am. I would say that not this church, but but the the local. That's what Jesus is saying, in Matthew sixteen, right? That the local church, a faithful local church, right? That's what that that's what that's what it, that's what membership was intended to be, right? Is it to say I no longer just speak for myself? That God's people, those confessors with right confession, are saying this is the right confessor with the right confession. And so, does that make sense? To be bound yeah. To... to be bound into that assembly, right? And, and which is the opposite of being loosed from the assembly in church discipline, which is saying we can't recognize this person as, as the right confessor with the right confession that help is that i that's why it's i know that, and that's why i figured i've talked about this a lot but i'm going to go through it again because even for me just trying to wrestle through this and 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 and, but i think that we're saying how do we understand the church as jesus described i think we have to wrestle with some of those those categories so So yeah yep yep no i I get you there yeah yeah all right let me pray for us and we'll we'll go to service father we thank you we thank you that we as Ephesians says were, we're once not a people we were outside the people of God. We were outside of, of your, your assembly, Lord. But you saved us, you regenerated us, you gave us new life and you, you, you brought us in, you grafted us in, you, you made us part of your people, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that that's not true just in an invisible way, but in a visible way. Lord, that you brought us to be with people who would weep with us when we weep, who would rejoice in us when we rejoice, who would stir us up to love and good deeds, Lord. Who would who would who would help us to bring go to maturity as we as we as we serve one another and, and as we Lord would would work together to be a testimony, Lord, to your glory to a watching world. Help us to to, to, to understand this more. Help us to understand your revelation more. And help us to live that out more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.